Welcome to the Digging Deeper podcast. I'm Stacy Martin. We are so glad you're here. We are joined today by my friend Jonathan Scott, the campus pastor at the South Park campus. Aloha. Aloha. I like it. Wearing my inner, my inner Jawine that's going on right now. It's not so inner as it is outward. It's a state of mind. It is. It's a state of existence. I'm Jawine. Exactly right. I'm an evangelist for that. Well, I'm feeling pretty good about that. I'm feeling pretty good about your Jawine. On, on this day, I'm feeling pretty good about that as well, too. And I'm, I'm glad uh, to be here. I wish I'd gotten the memo because I could have met you halfway. Do you have? Do you actually have this in your in your these kind of? I would like, find it for you. Oh, you would find it. Okay. I would find Jonathan. For those of you who are listening, Jonathan is known for his Hawaiian Jawine. Jawine. Jamaica Hawaii. Jamaica Hawaii. Exactly. Which are n- is not close on a map, but somehow <laughs> culturally, it works. It collides works. It works. in Jonathan's it fits. soul. It's perfect. And more and more South Parkers are wearing Jawine stuff on the weekends as well, too. Well, yeah, look at that. It's, it's a craze. It's, it's a, a craze. craze yes. Everybody's getting on board. Well, the other craze we're in right now is talking margins. Mm-hmm. So Jonathan preached the second message in the series on margins. And I think this series is so timely. And I say that kind of pun intended mm-hmm. because this past week we talked about time management. And you know what's so interesting about this series is that you look at it and from surface value, you think, is this just self-help? Like, is this church spending Mm -hmm. four weeks on self-help? And what you find is that the principles around margin are so deeply rooted in scripture and so deeply rooted in Jesus's life, which you're going to touch on in a little bit. But it's it's so neat to think about what margin actually is and that, and how Jason described it a couple weeks ago and you did too, is that that we have space to be able to respond to God mm-hmm. and the dreams that he's given us and the opportunities that he right. presents us with. Right, but especially the distinction that margin is that space between load and limits. And what I said this mm-hmm. past weekend is we may, sometimes we may, we may be okay in understanding what the load is, but we don't have a really good perspective of what our limits are. And margin is a place from which we can be recharged. We can have a, a renewed sense of the, and a clarity of our purpose so that we manage our loads well by realizing sometimes we can't do everything and that we rely on a power and a source greater than our own strength. Why do you think we don't know our limits? I, I, I think it's because we have been brainwashed by a culture that says we can do anything. Um, whatever you put your mind to, you can do. That's not, that's not true. Um, human beings are by nature finite beings with finite resources and power. But I think there's a certain sense of our identity, maybe self-worth, which is where the self-help comes in, I think, where we believe we can pretty much do anything and we're going to try for approval, for acceptance, for promotion, for prestige, for power. And so we kind of cross those boundaries in order to be able to achieve something that's really beyond us. I think some of that also has to do with our pride. We kind of want to be like God, which was the first lie in the garden. Oh, man. Yeah. And so we're going to do whatever we can to try to as- attain that level, not realizing, however, that sometimes that comes at a painful cost in relationships, pres- uh, uh, identity, all those kinds of things. Yeah, I, I, I feel that acutely. Yeah, very much I so. don't like to say that I can't do something. I don't like to tell people no. I don't like to admit that I'm not capable of accomplishing something or just digging a little deeper or pushing a little harder, it's really hard to do that. Well, why Why do you think you don't want to say that or admit that? I don't know. I think for me, there's probably some people pleasing there. Okay. I think it's actually that I don't want to let other people down, but really I think it has something to do with my ego and pride. Yeah. Even though I like to say it's because I don't want to tell you no because I like you and I don't want to let my friend down, but really it feels good to be capable. Mm. It's, I'm reading this book. I've read it a couple times, Present Over Perfect by Shauna Nequist. Okay. 
it rocks me every single time. And what she talks about is this idea of dying a slow death of just being capable, you know, being the capable one, always right. being the one that, right. that never leaves any space to be present. It is powerful. Very much so. Mm-hmm. so last week, two weeks ago, Jason said our first homework in this whole series of Margin was a prayer of surrender. How'd that go for you this past week? Actually, it went well because Jason brought... Now, here's the thing. That it goes well doesn't mean it goes perfectly. In other words, either every day or with the same intensity every day. Some points I didn't do it right away, but I did it later on. Sometimes it came out quicker than it needed to. I do think that surrendering yourself requires focused thought in what is it that you're offering to God and how well should that be? But I greatly appreciate what Jason did, and that's one of the reasons why I brought it up this past week is, hey, how did that go for, because I know that's a habit. That's tough to break into, especially if we're used to doing things on our own. But for me, it did give me a cause to pause and recenter myself in being able to offer all that I am. And so the prayer came out differently, you know, from day to day. I think there was one day that maybe I missed but caught back up later on because the goal is to start the day with that. And guess what? I'm used to a high revolutions per minute activity, and sometimes you can just get out of bed and get on with it, and you realize, oh, yeah, I just forgot to take care of the most important business, even before quiet time you know, is to be able to have that conversation with God. That was me. I did really great for a few days in the morning. I mean, I start. I even mm-hmm. told Jason, the first morning I'm looking at myself in the mirror, getting ready, and I, I pray, like, Lord, I give you my brain, I give yeah. you my thoughts. Mm-hmm. I go all the way down my ears, my eyes. Two days later, it was like 10 o'clock at night, and I'm obsessing about something as I'm laying in bed thinking about it, and I think, I should be surrendering this to God. Yeah. I didn't even start my day with surrender, mm-hmm. but I'm going to wrap it up. Yeah. God, I surrender yeah. these worries. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think it's important for us that when we miss it, not to focus on the fact that we miss it because, again, it's a new kind of habit. So with any kind of habit, sometimes there's failure at it, but there's a pursuit and a resolve to say, no, this is where I, I want to be, so I'm going to grow to that place rather than to assume success and perfection in the process. And wouldn't Satan want to use shame in such a way? He always to, does. I mean, to keep us from surrendering. Like, you failed so bad yeah. at just this weekly prayer of yeah. surrender. Yeah. You should just not surrender. Well, well that's the irony of how he works. He actually uh, seduces you into thinking, you can do it. And then when you don't, he says, you can't really do it <laughs> at all. So pride in one way, but then condemnation in the other. Always to keep us off balance and to keep us dependent upon ourselves, and never to actually rely on God. Sneaky son yeah, of a gun. <laughs> yes, I tell yes, he you. is. He's been at it for a while. So how does Satan use things like busyness or the things that we use to cram into our lives, the things that we use to squeeze God out? How does he... Well, I guess that answers my question. How does he use those things to squeeze God out? What, are, what, what would you say are some of those things? Well, you know, the uh, book of James, James says that actually what Satan does is he uh, connects with some type of an inner desire that we already have. It's, it's either an illicit desire that we shouldn't, that he magnifies, or it's a natural desire that he distorts, right? Oh. But either way, he's able to, and, and by the way, when we say Satan, we actually mean his influence because he can't be everywhere at the same time. He can only be in one place. And I always, Only always, God can. Only God can. And sometimes I think Satan's got a whole lot more of the important people to deal with than just me. He can send somebody else. But he works at being able to, through his henchmen, at, at magnifying what's going on in the inside of us and distorting it in such a way so that rather than the issue of merely time, it's what are the obligations? What are the expectations? And what I've heard him or them say is either you, you don't have enough time to do this, so cut corners. You don't have time to do that well, so don't give the proper effort. Or you have plenty of time (laughs) to do this. And so we spend more time in something that we shouldn't, less time in the quality of what we should. But all of it is designed to keep us off balance and relying upon the fact that we are defining reality and our approach to it. 
Well, that's so interesting because, I, I, you know, we, I think we treat time like it is a four-letter word. And not a four-letter word that means good things. The right. type of four-letter word that gets your mouth washed out with soap. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But yeah. I don't think that was God's original intent for time. No, as a matter of fact, our problem with time is we think it's ours. We think it's ours to spend. We think that we can pretty much use time in whatever way we want, where time is really a gift and a grace. One of the things I mentioned is that time is that precious fragment of eternity that God entrusts to us as a stewardship. We don't see it that way. We see, we, especially, we love to use the term discretionary. <laughs> that clause right there means I can pretty much, I, yeah, I got to give the eight hours to work. I got to give this to the kids. But there's a, a, some time here I can just do whatever I want. To. I have 90 seconds of discretionary time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. As opposed to realizing, wait a second, it's all his. As a child of God, do I have the freedom to use time exactly whatever way I want to? Not really, because it's not mine. We're all on borrowed time in that sense. But it's meant to enhance life. Kind of that illustration I used at the weekend about the death watch. Oh, yes. I cannot imagine who bought that watch, but I'm sure they did. I'm yeah. sure you can probably find it on Amazon. Very, very much so, yeah. That counts down backwards mm -hmm. based on your expected life expectancy. How much, how much time you've got left and therefore how to use that time well. But I will tell you, that definition of thinking of our time, uh, the season that we're in as a fragment of eternity, was really interesting to me. Yeah. Like, it hit something deep in my heart of, I mean, even in how I parent and how I... Um, spend time with my husband and my neighbor, the intentionality with right. I do things, mm -hmm. if it's, if this really is, in fact, a fragment of eternity, which it is, yes. gosh, the way I do that is so different than yeah. just like, I just got to power through this next hour, get it over with so I can move on to the next thing. Yeah. That makes a big difference. One of the, one of the illustrations that I got um, about that was a person that said, imagine taking a, you know, a, a point of a pencil, drawing it internally, you know, if infinitely one direction and then the other. That's, a, that's eternity, if infinite going without stopping. Then he said, then take a pencil and draw a vertical line at some particular point on that, on that. And the width of that line represents your life. The width, that's your birth and your death, uh, and your death, just the width of that line in the sea of eternity. And yet what's, am what's amazing is how you spend eternity is influenced by how you deal with the breadth and the width of that line. Wow. And so, yeah, it, it requires us to spend time clarifying our purpose because it only, hap it only comes once that way, and yet it's so impactful with the way that we, we, we um, prepare for eternity and how we live that in the present. And so, yeah, I will tell you one of my greatest challenges is taking the time to evaluate the quality of my actions, of my thoughts, being able to reflect on the day. How did the day go? Did I accomplish the things? I don't... So unfortunately, I don't tend to do that. Why do you think that is? I, the, the rush, uh, the expectation. It's just, I got to get these things done. I'm always m motivated by the things that have to be get done. And I neglect the fact that God is much more interested in how I'm getting done. Have you always been like that? Because you're a high energy person. Do you feel like your natural cadence as a person lends itself to that? It, it is more now than it used to be. But I'm older. But I remember we're, uh, at another church. So you're church, speeding up and not slowing down? I'm not sure exactly what that is. <laughs> I'm not sure how to, how to qualify that. That algorithm's a little. <laughs> but I had a counselor, a Christian counselor, that one time asked me, he said, Jonathan, I've watched, you know, the speed of your speech, which I'm continuing to work on, but also how fast you walk, how fast you move. And he asked me the question that stopped me dead in my tracks. He said, Jonathan, as I've watched you, the question I have for you is, what's driving you? And I remember when he asked me that question, 
I, I, I stopped because the obvious answer would be, well, the kingdom of God. But I realized that that was not the case. And I, for days, I actually went on a journey to figure out, yeah, what is driving me? Why am I living at that pace? Um, it was, a, it was a, a wonderful time of period of my life of av having to actually evaluate my motives, mm. my driving forces. And I had to realize that sometimes even ministry can be done with ulterior motives rather than the pure ones of serving God, which comes off really quickly, but you realize there's something else that's been going on that sometimes keeps that pace. But you're right, I've always been uh, an extrovert, I've always been motivated, I've always been moving, but especially with things that have happened in my life, it's really caused me to slow down the thought process and realize that some of the things I've been told about God, interpreted about God, they weren't necessarily true and I've had to, be, I've had to question the things that I was taught as well. So how is God revealing that to you? You said you spent some time to try to figure that. How does God reveal that to you? Well, a lot through the scripture. Sometimes when I, when I open the word, and you know, this also has to do with how I've learned to spend time with God over the years. It used to be that um, the question was, after you read a scripture, it would be like, what did God say? What did, what, what did you say to God? And there was like, you know, three lines. And I would just, you know, write something in there. Well, God loves me, Jesus loves me, and, and you're wrong with that. Something like that. Correct answer. Both correct, of those correct That's answers. exactly right. With no thought whatsoever. <laughs> and you close it, and I can say, I had my quiet time, off we go. But then something happened, and I, and, I, and I figured, you know something? I want to fill that space. Not just write something pithy, but I actually want to fill the space. And when I started filling the space that was given to me, I need more space. So when I said this weekend that writing forces me to slow down because I tend to think that simply because I think it, <laughs> it's reality and I've got it. No, I actually need to work it out. And so writing that stuff out causes me to realize, to think deeper about those things. And what, 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 what that does is it then forces me or causes me to look deeper into the scripture, to not just go for the first thing that pops out at me, but to ask questions like, why did he write that? What was the purpose? What's he trying to get at? Because it can't be something that's superficial not in a relationship with a God who loves us as deeply as he does. And so because of that, I had to realize, gosh, simply because a person said it does not necessarily mean that that's all there is to what they said. And so I began to do research on my own, just to think through and read through, and I found that the scripture is this vast treasure trove of wisdom that you can't get to the bottom of simply because you write stuff on it. Mm, There's more that's to good. It. Well, I loved how you highlighted the two very opposite um, seasons of fast versus feast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I love the juxtaposition of that because there are things that we have to fast from in order to feast in others. And I, and something about that word feast, I just kept thinking of abundance. You know, we talk about this abundant life in Christ. And I think for a lot of us Christians, we, we equate abundance with more, like either more things, more blessings, mm -hmm. or I need to do more yeah. for the kingdom in yeah. order to have this abundant life. Where do you see people not having abundance because of the things that um, maybe they need to fast from? What do you think? What do you think of those areas? Maybe I, let me phrase it that way. What areas do you see folks need to fast from in order to feast on the abundance of Christ? Yeah, um, there, there, there are many. I would say a couple of things. Uh, number one, People are, uh, in, uh, they're lacking peace of mind. Peace of mind. That seems to be in low supply. Now, now, here's the thing. With abundance that is offered to us from God, it's always available 24 hours a day, every moment. It's there. But because we are so preoccupied by other things, we, that's one of the reasons why Jesus could say, don't be anxious. So there's something. 
anxiety, which has been told to me that that's the voice that the soul makes when it's trusting in something other than God. And because of our preoccupation with other things, it's robbing us of the peace of mind we have in realizing that our identity and our security is not found in anything on earth. So that's one thing that people are being robbed about. And because of all the obligations and because of the have-tos, the got-tos, or else's, we tend to think that my security is wrapped up in how I accomplish things, so peace of mind. I also think the affection of God. The affection of God, we believe really that you gotta do something to earn his love. Rather than realizing that what God did for us through Jesus Christ establishes once and forever the depth of the love of God. But even as Christians, we're still working to try to earn or be worthy of, of that love. I remember when Jesus had the conversation with the woman at the well, you know, mm. and said, bring your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right. You, you've had five and the one you're with. The, the idea is that she was over and over again trying to get something, and Jesus was right there. I, remember, I love that, that when he said, the one who is speaking to you, when, he, when she mentioned about the Messiah, it's me. I, I think we're trying to find the Messiah in so many other things, and we're not experiencing the depth of the abundance in not just what God gives, but who God is. That's always available to us. So peace of mind, affection and love, acceptance, um, and I think also affirmation for our capacity. We were made to be image bearers of God. We were designed to reflect the eternal nature of God, not to be God, but to reflect that nature. We settle for so much less when we try to be like anybody else. So those are the things I think that we're missing, our identity, our security, peace of mind, because we're preoccupied in the pursuit of way, uh, things that are just way less and that they will never satisfy. Well, the main verses for this series are Matthew 6, mm -hmm. talking about seek first the, the kingdom, kingdom of God. Right. But you made a point, which I thought was very interesting, to not just say, seek you first the kingdom, but you said, seek first the king. Yeah. Why'd you make that intentional choice to say that? Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is the reorientation of our life to a person. When Jesus, after mm. he was baptized and he uh, then was um, tempted in the wilderness, he was preaching the exact same message that John the Baptist was preaching. It was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But John was preaching it as a forerunner of the coming of the kingdom and the coming of the king. With Jesus, what's all amazing is the person who was issuing that command to repent and change because the kingdom of heaven, it was the king. The greatest motivation for Christianity is not the teachings of Jesus, but the Jesus who taught those things. I'm much more motivated to pursue a person than principles. I'm not saying that principles aren't important. But everything that Jesus was and did was about God coming near to us. But when we as Christians reduce that to a set of do's and don'ts, rituals and principles, rather, we're missing the point. Loving God is about uh, orienting our life to his person and not just simply to what was said or what's expected but to him. And so I figured, because I did this, I, I made the mistake in the quiet times, it's about fulfilling the responsibility of 15 minutes or you know, going through the ritual. That doesn't tend to motivate a person to want to do those things. What motivates and inspires me is who I'm going to meet and not what I'm going to do in that meeting. Jesus is the one that is saying, I, I can't wait to meet with you. I can't wait to meet with you. I, he sings over us at night. He rejoices over us. When we wake up in the morning, we, we, we say, well, okay, I'm not really a morning person, but he is, he's an every moment person. Being in his presence, that's, 
that, that for me, and I have to keep that foremost in my mind, that's one of the most exciting privileges of a Christian is realizing I get to be in the presence of the one who made the universe and loves me with all of his being. I was reading an article one time about a, a Christian author who walked away from the faith. Yes. She, um, she had grown up in the church, had always been a believer, and then had a crisis of faith and said, I don't know if I believe any of this. I don't know what I believe. But what her, brought her back was ultimately Jesus. Of all the things, she said, you know what? Forget what you'll say about doctrine and principles and all these things. What brings me back is Jesus. I believe he is who he said he is. And I would die for Jesus. Yeah. I would die to have a relationship with this man. So th then she said, so I guess that makes me a Christian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As opposed to the liturgies and the, and the fountain and all these things that she had process-oriented her faith around right. when she stripped it all away and dug deep and figured out what it was that she truly believed, it was, I believe that Jesus died for me, that he's the son of God and he died for me. And I love him, yeah. and he loves me, yeah. and I think that's going to be enough. I think the pursuit of our, of our faith in Jesus Christ, that we lose it when we forget that the essential command, which is actually an invitation that Jesus offers, is follow me. Follow me. Jesus, in offering rest, he says, for those of you that are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come and learn and take from me. <laughs> It's not just, as a matter of fact, to the, to the Pharisees, he said to them, you search the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life, but those scriptures testify of me, but you refuse to come to me. And I think that over the centuries, Christianity has been done a disservice by attaching it to what we believe more than who we follow. The non-essentials versus the essential of well, Jesus. Well, no, no, here's the thing. All those are essential, but they're not central. Central. That's a good, that's a good... Very much so. It's, Jesus is... It's Christianity. Mm. You know, it's Christianity, which we've made a philosophical principle rather than, again, the orientation of our life to a person. And so that's why I said, look, for, in, in for trying to figure out how to margin your time, start by recognizing it's not a thing you're supposed to be doing, but a person we're after. Well, you said that Jesus was an incredible model for time management. And, you know, we, we look at his life for things like service and loving people in the fringes and all these kind of big ethereal things. But you can look at him for time management, too. Yeah, very much so. What, would, what did he do? Well, especially if you, if you identify what was his priority in time management. There's a passage in John chapter 5 where Jesus says, The son does nothing unless he sees the father doing it. Whatever the father does, the son does as well. That means that Jesus' priority was not simply getting things done. It was pursuing a constant, ongoing communion with the Father. Jesus, as God, divested himself of his divine advantages and modeled for us that the true essence of life, which we were made for, is pursuing an ongoing, living, dynamic relationship and communion with God. Because if that happens, God then actually has access to manage our life. Jesus knew what to do, not because he was God, but in his human form, because he depended and relied on the Father. That's the essence of what true life is. It's not the things we got to get done, but it's the person we follow who actually, God, expresses his life through us when we're connected. That's what Jesus said also in John 15. I am the vine, you're the branches. If your man or abides in me, dwells, lives in me, he will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. That's the thing that I think we've got to figure out. Mm -hmm. How do I live life in a way that is never separate from him? And it's not about, oh, uh, it's not about only obeying the rules. Yeah. 
It's the relationship with Christ that gives me the power to live as I was designed to live in an abiding relationship with God through Well, Christ. I think we feel like this idea of bearing much fruit means productivity. Bearing fruit means I am a productive little plant. Yeah, yeah. I am just growing and producing and producing, but you can't produce anything without being connected back to the vine. Right. I think that's what hit me about what you were just saying, because I am I am somebody who likes to be productive. I am somebody who likes to fill every minute with every day of, and part of it's by nature. I've got two kids and a husband that travels. Like, I got to get stuff done. Right. But when I do it absent Christ, which is a lot, I'm not going to lie. I, I, I mean, I'm in the same place I, as well, I, too. It's a struggle. It's a struggle. It's, it's I'm a not going to lie. I yeah. moved through my day and realized that I did not one time mm-hmm. invite Jesus into what I was doing, right. which... I mean, that seems so Stacy centric. I mean, I need, I need, I need confession right off the bat. But to think about why, why would I think that I could produce anything without being deeply, deeply rooted in who Jesus is and who Jesus says I am, and having that abiding relationship? Well, and that's the thing about that command in in John fifteen five. Jesus didn't command us to bear fruit. No, that's not the command. The command is to abide. Bearing fruit is the oh, natural byproduct. But because in our culture, we are trained and brainwashed and programmed for productivity. For the end result. For the end result. Because even just as you said that, I, I felt a, an, an internal ouch. Because I think I do see it all, see every command yeah. as an end product, the destination, not this, the process. Yeah, yeah. Even Man. quiet time. Even quiet time. We look at quiet time as, as a product. Quiet time as the goal. Lord, what will you reveal to me? What's my takeaway at the end of this 15 minutes? So in That's my, what I do, in y'all. In my times of solitude, especially if I'm fasting from to feast on, I don't look at those times as, okay, in this time, I expect God to speak to me. For me, my greatest expectation for my times of solitude is to slow myself down to be receptive to whatever he wants to. He may not say anything to me, you know, phenomenal in that moment. I just need to get to the place where I can breathe properly and make myself receptive because in the regular run of life I can be ignorant I can be blind I can be dense and thinking that I can get these things done but no sometimes it's in the quiet time in the solitude that allows me the time to become receptive I think that was the key of Jesus it's not just that God only spoke to him just in those moments it seems as if God was always those moments were special times where he was practicing solitude intimacy with God but, the, but the, we, we can't miss the fact that Jesus remained there even after the amen, mm. even after the quiet time was done. Yeah. He didn't step outside of the relationship. He didn't say, okay, God, see you in the next time, in yeah. the next quiet I'll time. I'll see you tomorrow morning yeah, exactly. at 530. No. It's how to walk with God, how to walk with Christ in an ongoing relationship that's enhanced by those moments, but it's still a natural product of the, way that, the rhythm of life. So you, you said that you developed a 15-minute kind of breakdown for your prayer life when you were in the eighth grade. How did, that, how did you have that level of wisdom in the eighth grade? Because I'm going to tell you what I was doing in the eighth grade, <laughs> and it was not figuring out a 15-minute well, quiet and, time. And, and, and again, I, I grew up in a very strong Christian home. I, uh, I've always had that orientation. And by the way, when I say 15 minutes, it's not that it, it happened in 15 minutes, because quite frankly, it grew from there. I remember uh, days as a teenager that I got up early, and I had hour. Of, of, of time with, with Christ. Mm-hmm. What I did this past weekend, which is actually something I got from a pastor from Saddleback Community Church, which is uh, Buddy Owens is his name. It's just that his process mirrored what I experienced. So oh, there it is. That's great. But it's basically start somewhere, but start with intentionality to that. And sure enough, over time, it grew. 
you know. But that's, that's what I did. Sometimes not always perfectly, and please understand, I wasn't perfect at it. Sometimes it didn't go well, sometimes I didn't go well. But the basic um, pattern for me, since the eighth grade, when I presented myself to God, I said, God, I want you to do through my life whatever you want. And I started the process that started with 10, and I realized, okay, I'm just super, I'm just faking it. <laughs> and I started slowing down to read and to meditate and to enjoy. Look, for me, I got to the place where I was actually enjoying time with Jesus and not just enjoying my quiet time. Mm -hmm. That's what changed it for me. It became interacting with a person rather than a ritual. What would you say to the person who's listening right now who just feels frantic? who just feels like they are on a hamster wheel of just running. What would you say to them? As a matter of fact, at the end of this weekend, there were some people that came to me with, with tears in their eyes acknowledging that that's where they feel right now. I would say, the, the first thing I would say to them is this, rest is available. Rest is, and you can't work for it. You can't work for it. Rest is available. And that's where that voice of Jesus in Mark 11, where he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And that's key. I'm, I think it's Matthew 11. That's key is Jesus says, if you're weary, if you're heavy laden, burdened, depressed, then you're a candidate. You're a candidate. I am offering you peace and rest. But for that, you got to come. Mm. So for those who are weary, they're worn out, they're flat out fatigued, burned out, Rest and peace is available, and it's nothing that you can work for. It's a gift that's to be received. Well, what's the first step? I mean, what's the first step if you, if, you know, you're you're in your car right now, you're listening to that, and you're like, yes, weary, yeah, yeah, heavy it. laden, I burdened. It. I love it. I, I'm all three of those yeah, things. Yeah. And I would like rest. Yeah. So what the do I do step, next? Tell that to God. Oh. Just tell that to God. Yeah, oh. back, just stop. If you need to, pull off to the side of the road <laughs> if what, if it's safe. But just say, God. I'm, I'm worn out. For me, the process, even just of saying that out loud, God, I am worn out. I don't know what else to do. I am sick of life as it is, the way that things are going, but I'm coming to you. You told me that if I could come, if I would come, you'd give me rest. I need it. The first step is to acknowledge the need to God. That almost brings tears to my eyes because I, I can, well, one, I can hear my own soul saying that, but I can hear the souls of so many people I, I can almost feel them on the other side of this microphone saying, those are my words. Yeah. You just said my words, and you said those words to my Heavenly Father for me. I, I, it felt like just then that you were interceding on behalf of all the folks here that were listening that want whose souls are aching those exact words. I would love for that to be a pastoral <laughs> thing that I just did. But what I was doing, yeah. I was challenging my own pain. Yeah. Because there were times in my Gosh. life where... All of my in intelligence, all of my theological acumen, all of my passion and ministry, it was nothing. And I came to God as a holy mess, or maybe an unholy mess. <laughs> but I just, I, I just cried out. I basically said to God, God, I can't do this anymore. Or I don't even know if I want to do this anymore. But I need you. I am crying out to you. I need your help. And sometimes that would end in just a puddle of tears and brokenness that I know that somehow God is attracted to. <laughs> he's, he's attracted to our admission of brokenness and brings the comfort. How did God do that for you? How did you find that rest? He would bring to my, for me, he would bring to my mind 
passages of scriptures that were no longer simply just like fortune cookie wisdom. Mm -hmm. It was as if I actually heard Jesus speaking to me based on what's in the scripture about his love, about perseverance, also finding even in the midst of the brokenness, a sense of peace that I was not alone. I knew at that point that God did not abandon. It's almost as if God was just in, always there, not even in the background, right there waiting. Waiting for me to turn around and acknowledge that he's in the room. And at some points, I would feel just his arms around me. And what I would hear was, and this is, again, just Jonathan. What I would hear was, not Jesus saying, I'll fix it. What I would hear him saying is, I know. Oh. I know. I've been there. Mm. I've lived that. I know. Deeper than what you're experiencing, Jonathan, I know. There's a passage in Hebrews that says that Jesus is a person, is a high priest who is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses because he's been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Therefore, he knows how to bring us the encouragement that we... Those are the verses that would come to my head, is that Jesus is not just saying, get your act together and then let's talk. Yeah. Jesus is saying, no, bring your messed up act to me. I understand. I know. Well, he, Jesus even prayed that to God right before his crucifixion. Yeah. There's got to be another way. I yeah. can't do this. Yeah. I... I you know, I, it's too much. I'm yeah. too, I, I don't have anything left. Yeah, even though he knew that's why he came. Exactly. But in the face of what was coming, even, as a matter Being of fact. perfect God and perfect man. As a matter yeah. of fact, it, the, the scripture says that Jesus, and coming out of the garden of that time, he was anxious. He was a mess. Out of all the times of his life, that was when he was distressed. And he even said, my soul is troubled even to the point of death. And we have to realize, some of us have absolutely felt like that. But again, the comfort is he's not abandoned you. Jesus took pains for us we'll never experience, which means he will never give us more than we can bear. I'm sorry. He'll never give us more than we can bear with him. He will supply what's necessary. But sometimes the first important step is confession. And it's not just confessing our sin. Confession is really to agree, to admit with God, this is the state of things. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I need you. He loves those prayers. He's attracted to those kinds of prayers. When we admit, my limit, I've reached the end of it. I admit God. I tried. I thought I could do it. I've, I've gone past my limit. I can't do this anymore. Well, talk about surrender. I mean, that's more than just a daily. I, I love the practice of daily surrender, but there's something about surrender in that place. Yeah. That place of such bottom-of-the-barrel brokenness yeah. that it's not just like, God, I surrender to the, this to you because I am so capable today. I am so capable of surrender. I'm going to yeah. do it. It's in those moments where yeah. God's saying, remember me. Yeah. Remember. Yeah. I've been doing a chronological reading um, through Scripture since January. And, um, you know, when you're reading things chronologically, you kind of feel like you're reading the same things over and over again. Mm -hmm. And it was all, remember how I delivered yeah. the Israelites yeah. from Egypt. Remember this. And I, I'm like, okay, God, let's get, I'm ready for the quotable mm -hmm. quotes. Like, can we get into the New Testament? Mm -hmm. And then the Lord just kept telling me, this is not about, this is about you and the spiritual practice of remembering because you forget, you forget all the ways yeah. that I have comforted you. You forget all the ways you I've delivered you. You forget all the ways I've given you rest. Like, just like I keep telling the Israelites to remember, I'm telling you to remember because yeah. I never once left you. And, and that really always hits me because yeah. it's not a new practice to be given rest. Mm -hmm. It's not a new practice to be delivered. God, that's God's business. Yeah. Like that's what he's always mm -hmm. done since the beginning of time. Yeah. When those, when those parts of scripture come back over and over and over again and we can kind of get bored with it, yeah. I always go to, okay, 
he arranged it in, a, in this way for a reason. Why is he having to repeat that? Because <laughs> we forget. That's exactly right. And that's why it happens over and over again. And, and for me, it's as if he's actually saying, pause and rem don't just read it. Actually remember. Slow down, sister. Actually remember. So you, another thing that you ask, for people that may feel as if they're over their limit, what do they do? I would say also this. Throughout the day, it happened at the South Park campus this past weekend when we actually gave people that time for, to, to talk to God. That last service for me, in that moment, it just happened then, I actually acknowledged in my own heart that's that moment of stillness. It just kind of rushed in on me like, oh, this is beautiful. As, as it, it, was, it was quiet, there was music playing, but it was this beautiful moment in eternity that God gave us this stillness, and it hit me. And again, sometimes that happens while driving with no music on. Sometimes it happens when you linger over food before you even pray about it. You realize, to remember, what has he given me? I think that's, some, that's a practice we can do throughout the day is to take a moment to be still and know. Psalm 4610. That he is God. Yeah, be still and know that I and am And that God. word there for being still means stop striving. Stop striving. Stop trying to make it work. Stop trying to make it happen. And it's in those moments, rather than say, dear God, thank you for the food in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> and you're gone. It's no, Lord, I don't deserve this. This, what I'm about to eat, even if it's unhealthy for me. <laughs> The These story. Doritos that I know came from your please creation. Do, please at do some something point. with it, exactly. <laughs> Nourish my body, Lord, with this processed orange cheese. <laughs> but still, what I'm about to consume is a gift. God, you. I, I, I think we need to take time to be overwhelmed by his goodness. That's good. Yeah. Well, would you close us in prayer for all of our friends that are listening right now? Would yeah. you, uh, would you just pray for us? Yes, I would love to. I'd Thanks. Love to. Heavenly Father, and I, I, I take those two words seriously. Heavenly Father, the fact that we can even call you Abba, Daddy. Thank you for every gift that you give to us, especially extravagantly thrown through the sacrifice of your Son Jesus. And Father, I pray that for all of those who are listening, for us, that we would take the time to remember the majesty and the magnitude of your love for us, that we would not allow the rhythm of our day, the frenetic, frantic pace of life to crowd out or choke out the reality of your abiding, everlasting affection and love, and that, God, it is your desire to be gracious to us in ways we will never be able to count. And so I pray that you help us to enter into the comfort, the peace, the rest, the security of knowing that in Christ we are yours. We're yours. So express with fullness, your goodness in our life and help us to live with our hearts and our hands open to receive all that you are. God, we need you. We need you. And we confess that to you with the belief that you will satisfy us to the core. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for being here My this pleasure. week. My pleasure. My pleasure.
Join us next week as we are in our third week in this margin series, y'all. I hope this is as good for you as it is for me. I am. And for I, me. And for and you. And for me. I mean, exactly right. Gosh, I am just learning so much. I, I feel like every single one of these podcasts is a personal therapy session. So I don't, <laughs> I'll send you the bill. I, yeah, you yeah, should. Yeah, you yeah, should. You should send me the bill. Uh, but I just appreciate you being on here. And, guys, I can't wait to see you next week as we dig a little further into what it means to have margin. Aloha.